Escape Pod Episode 219 Today's story Sleepy Joe by Mark Laidlaw Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. We have a rather darkly humorous story today from a rather darkly humorous writer. We present Sleepy Joe by Mark Laidlaw. Mr. Laidlaw lives in Washington State and works for Valve Software. So he's written for several tiny games you've never heard of, like Half-Life, Half-Life 2, and Portal. Which, by the way, are also the three first-person shooters I've ever finished, mostly because of their stories. He also has several novels out. His best known might be his debut novel, Dad's Nuke, from the 1980s, and dozens of short stories. This story was first published in the webzine The Infinite Matrix in 2002, and is still available for free reading at infinitematrix.net. The story is read for us by horror writer, pseudopod editor, and grand vizier of Escape Artists Incorporated, Ben Phillips. Which, lets me say again, if you like your fiction to creep you out, and you're not listening to Pseudopod, you're doing it wrong. Check them out at pseudopon.org. So, sit back in your comfy chair? Yes, this comfy chair right here, the one with the needles. Yeah, the chair might get a little personal, don't worry, that's just its way of making friends. It's story time. Sleepy Joe by Mark Laidlaw The plan must have come to Raj fully formed that first morning as he stepped off the elevator into the lobby of Zillikin Sharpenwright and saw the old soldier newly stationed there in his omni-chair between the potted silk ferns and the coffee tables. Oh. My. God. I am in love. Megan her arms loaded with Raj House props and paraphernalia she hadn't had time to ditch yet, said, You say that an awful lot for someone who styles himself completely asexual, not to mention atheistic. There's no conflict. He's completely post-human. Hmm, you two even look a bit alike. Oh, please don't say that. You flatter me. He stalked up to the omni-chair, tugging at the collar of his black turtleneck, adjusting his thick black plastic spectacles. Crouching down before the chair's inhabitant, he put out a stick-thin finger, gingerly. Can I touch him? Antoinette, the receptionist, said, He's not in yet. Do you want his voicemail? Be my guest. I just wish he'd stop staring at me. Law offices. Megan watched Raj examining the old soldier. They did look alike. Raj was completely hairless. He scrubbed his head with some kind of depilatory agent that had eradicated even his eyebrows. The old vet, in the omnichair, which hummed and slurped and quietly took care of all his hidden functions, was similarly shorn, although in a military style. Unlike Raj, he had eyebrows like bristly fiber-optic filaments, with a faint orange light playing through them. And where Raj blinked continuously behind his thick lenses, the old vet's eyes were half-open, sleepy-lidded, and actual blinks came so infrequently that it would be days before Megan had a confirmed sighting. His face in sharp contrast to Raj's utterly unblemished pallor, was dark, creased, chapped, 
like a weathered boulder sharpened by the elements instead of worn away. But there was nothing sharp about the expression. The brain inside could have been a lump of dough to judge by the drowsy eyes. Could you turn him to face the elevators? Antoinette called across the lobby. Gives me the creeps, him staring at me, and he's got some kind of smell. Law offices. Megan didn't smell anything except perhaps a whiff of machine oil, which she supposed had something to do with the chair. But she took the handles of the chair and wheeled it around to face the elevator bank. On the back of the seat was a small embossed label, Property of Civilian Rehabilitation Foundation. Raj stayed crouched before the chair, declaiming poetically under his breath even as she shifted it. O veteran of foreign wars unnameable, at least by me, defender of this hoary law firm's priceless hoard of fortune magazines and rented modern art, I welcome you. I honor and appreciate all that you have done at great personal sacrifice to keep this country safe for me and my community access cable show, The Raj House, as seen each Tuesday at 2 a.m. I hope I can someday prove myself worthy to call you a fan as I am of you. Raj, Megan said. Hush a moment, we're communing. Raj, I need coffee. Elixir of mammon. She turned aside. Whatever. And halfway down the hall to her cubicle, she looked back and saw him still gazing deep into the old vet's eyes. I'll drop this crap on your desk, she said. He waved her off with a distracted hand. At that moment, Mr. Zillikin himself arrived, striding from the elevators with the look of extreme distaste he reserved especially for Raj. Get away from my sentry, he snapped. Raj straightened up like an odd black heron on stilts, stumbling backward, barely catching himself. Sorry, Mr. Zillikin. Show some respect and stay out of his face. Hey, Raj, you said you echoed that full set of exhibits last night? I need it for a rush filing. Good morning, Mr. Zillikin. Good morning, Miss Megan. A smirky smile and a wink, saved especially for his favorite paralegals. She shuddered and knew it wouldn't register. I suppose you noticed the latest addition to the firm. We were just admiring him. I think it's great you volunteered for this. Well, there's a small fee involved, but it's not much to pay for his eternal vigilance. I'm a vet myself, you know. You mentioned. Come on, Raj, I already called a courier. She stuffed her load of kitty cat ears and pig snouts on elastic bands into Raj's arms and hauled him away from Zillikin. She could feel the old name partner watching her ass all the way to the end of the corridor. Thanks for the rescue. You owe me a coffee. I owe you one anyway for keeping you up all night. He untangled a pig's snout from the supply in his arms and cupped it over his nose. No, that I do gratis, she said. Pro bono for the Raj house. Oh my God, Megan, he said suddenly, sounding more nasal than usual under the pink snout. I just had an amazing idea. That's because you've been awake for 24 hours straight. I'm going to put him on my show. Who? Oh no, you can't do that, Raj. It's completely crazy. All the more reason. Raj, they'll fire you. And worse. You'll see. Despite his protestations of post or transhumanity, Raj was a sloppy sentimentalist. Megan suspected he affected the robot thing for contrast. And although the old vet quickly slewed in status from waiting room weirdo to office mascot, it was Raj who lavished actual affection on him in the way of party hats and thrift store scarves and doilies of only slightly yellowed lace for the arms of the omnichair.
while an attendant from the Vets Administration came by twice a week and hauled him away completely on weekends to change the chair's canisters and replace various tubes, Raj was a constant ministering presence. He propped magazines in the vet's lap. He brought in CDs he thought the vet would appreciate and had Antoinette pipe them through the lobby. Raj's tastes were just old-fashioned enough that it seemed quite possible the vet might have listened to and even loved such strained melodies in his youth. All this gave him a semblance of life, to which some reacted badly, particularly Mr. Zillikin, who found all Raj's attentions inappropriate. Roger, Zillikin stepped out of the elevator, irritated to find Raj settling an embroidered sampler across the old soldier's knees. He gave a wink to Megan, then instantly shut it off and turned back to Raj. Get away from him. I've talked to you before about tampering with my property. By the way, I'm going to need you here tonight, pulling exhibits for my hearing tomorrow in Landauer. Megan can give you more information. She'll be staying as well. Megan stiffened. It was the first she had heard about it. The assignment was clearly intended as punishment for Raj, though it was not entirely out of character for Zillikin to drop all-nighters on Megan just as she was preparing to head home. Raj flashed her a desperate look. But, but Mr. Zillikin, I'm supposed to tape my show tonight. I've booked time in the studio already, and, and I'm going to need Megan there as well. She's my right-hand man. You know what I say to that, Zillikin growled. If you can't handle the responsibility of a paralegal career, I suggest you go find yourself some form of employment that doesn't involve a framed certificate. Downcast, Raj chewed his pocked cheek. No, I'll, I'll stay and work with Megan. Really? Are you sure? Because you're welcome to go home any time you wish. It's no problem. You're sure about that? I'm sure. Zillikin glared at him, making his contempt quite plain. Raj's eyes flicked sideways to the old vet and then away, as if he were embarrassed to be seen in such a light, humiliated by the lawyer. Raj was too well-mannered or repressed to curse under his breath as Zillikin walked away, but the old lawyer glanced back once, as if expecting to discover some treachery at his back. Sigh, said Raj, instead of actually sighing. Sorry, Raj, I didn't see that coming either. On the other hand, Landauer is a class action suit. We can order cordon bleu, eat like pigs, and put it on the public's tab. Oink, he said dispiritedly. Shortly after 8.30, just as they were digging through piles of documents and Raj was clipping sections of the Supreme Court reporter for copying, Zillikin waltzed through the lobby and gave Megan a jaunty farewell. See you bright and early. And to Raj, no sneaking in at 8.15. He tapped the old vet on the shoulder as he waited for the elevator. Keep an eye on him for me, Joe. Ding. The elevator opened and closed, carrying off Zillikin. The nerve, Megan said. What do you mean? Raj said excitedly, shoving the law books aside. I thought he'd never leave. So we're stuck here all night doing his damn work. That doesn't bother you? Not tonight it doesn't, because as soon as a suitable period of mourning has passed, we're getting out of here. What? Where? The studio, doll. Where else? No way, Raj. That's suicide. Then it's going to be a double suicide, lovey, because I've got big plans for this one and I can't do it without you. Not. I'm afraid so. There are 42 parties to serve in this case. I'm going to be up half the night just stuffing envelopes. Those can go out in the afternoon mail. We just need enough to send Zillikin off to court. We can do the show and get back here in time and you know it. No way. No way, no way, no way. 
And not only that, but the old soldier's coming with us. You can't do that. He's here to protect the firm night and day. What if, what if something happens while he's out? He's government property. You know what'll happen to us? Nothing will happen except we'll put together the best damn episode of the Raj House the world has ever seen. Half an hour later, they were wheeling the old vet out to a waiting cab. The driver had apparently seen more than one Omnichair in his day because he handily undid the tubes and belts and clasps and Velcro fastenings, collapsed the chair with a liquid sound, and stuffed it into the trunk. Megan, meanwhile, manhandled the old vet onto the back seat, finding him light as a moth. She and Raj sat on either side of him, propping him up between them. So, said the driver when they'd given directions, I see you got yourself a sleepy Joe. He's in rehab, said Raj. I've been seeing them all over lately. Must be quite a backlog at the VA hospital. They're getting more popular at banks and grocery stores. Saw so I wanted gas and electric the other day when I was paying my bill. They must come cheap. Well, our friend here is rather special. I'd go so far as to say he's unique. And we're planning to make a star out of him. A star? Oh, really? I'm the host of the Raj House. Perhaps you didn't recognize me without my platinum wig. Contrary to popular preconception, all cabbies don't live to watch porno. I was just noticing that fellow you got there seems wound pretty tight. How do you mean? Well, he was a sentry, wasn't he? They shipped these guys out to some godforsaken hole, right? I mean, literally. Stuck them in a foxhole or a cave and then just kept them waiting there, wound up like an alarm clock. In hibernation, basically, until something, whatever they're primed for, set them off. You know, enemy movement, political target going down the road. Fascinating, Rod said. Did you know that, Megan? Megan looked more closely at the old vet's craggy features. He jiggled as the cab jostled along, with the liquid reflections running over his unblinking eyes. No, I didn't, she said. Sure, the cabbie had inside knowledge. They'd drop a sleeper into some locale where they expected trouble someday, but no time soon where they needed Johnny on the spot and wanted to be sure and have someone on the inside extra early to be ready for anything. Used a combination of drugs, wiring, whatever. Kept them waiting indefinitely for the trigger. Some of these guys, I heard a lot about it on talk radio, they'd go into trances so deep it's like time just came to a stop. And for lots of them, the action would go by, right? The gov would extract them, maybe snap them out of them, maybe not. So in this guy's case, and a lot of the other sleepers, he never did snap. I mean, look at him. Doesn't look like he ever snapped a pretzel. He's still wound up. A lot of them, personally, I think they just burned out and they'll never come out of it. This rehab thing is just for PR. It's supposed to make people feel good about the whole effort, but you'll notice they stopped the program. In other words, they don't make them like this anymore, said Raj with a touch of sniffy pride. Good thing, too. There's probably more on the streets than in the banks. Hey, I'm a vet myself. You know how easy it is to get steamrolled if you're not right in their face asking for what's yours. Hell of an honorable discharge. They probably think if they give these guys a chair, they've done their duty by them. Cut them loose. Is it somewhere around here? Man, this neighborhood sucks. Don't expect me to wait for you. The studio's right here, and we're perfectly safe. Megan never felt safe until they were actually inside the studio. She stood on the slimy curb, hugging herself, while Raj opened up his wallet and thumbed through his cash, counting bills by the flickering light of a street lamp on the edge of failure. The district was dark and empty. There was no obvious threat except maybe that of tetanus, but as always, she had the sense of someone watching from the shadows, bleary eyes waiting for them to make a false move. The driver pulled the chair out of the trunk and they fit the old vet into it. 
She hurried toward the door of the warehouse, urging Raj to unlock it before the cab pulled away. Inside, they passed through yet another locked door and into a cavernous room where quilted pads and in some cases simple white sheets hung from the walls. There was a row of rickety aluminum bleachers for any audience that might have been in attendance. Raj had been known to rope in a few other paralegals when his a cappella group gave a performance, but usually it was just Raj and Megan and whatever guest they had managed to snare. The first time Raj brought her to the studio, Megan had expected banks of monitors, busy technicians, a full-time staff. The reality was quite different. It was a shoestring operation designed to be run single-handedly if necessary. Plenty of cable access programs were solitary endeavors, one person reading poetry or ranting about conspiracies before a fixed camera. There was a single camera, a computer with some basic editing software installed, and several monitors which Raj had to position so he could see himself at all times. The edges of the room were piled with boxes full of crummy styrofoam props. Raj switched on the few spotlights, then pulled a fat sofa chair into the brightest spot. Megan's somewhat smaller chair, more patched with duct tape, went to Raj's left. The old vet was granted the place of honor at Raj's right hand. While Raj set up the camera and pulled his silvery Warhol wig into place, Megan paced nervously in front of the chairs. What are we going to do with him, Raj? I was planning a Veterans Day special. It'd be good to have that in the bank. But what if someone recognizes him? I know it's unlikely anyone will ever see this, but just in case. Never fear. Raj produced several of the essential props he always carried with him. Cat ears and pig snouts on elastic bands. To the vet, he said, We'd be honored, honestly, if you would join us. I hope you don't mind. He slipped the snout onto the vet's knife-sharp nose and stood back to admire his handiwork. Magnifique, he said, pronouncing the G. Megan laughed behind her hand. Somehow it broke her sense of growing anxiety. They were doing the show. They were really doing it. This was going to be cool. She took her own pig nose from Raj and put it on, and then the cat ears, which she alone wore. Solidarność, Raj proclaimed. God, Raj, just imagine what Silicon would say. Of all the people, we don't have to worry about watching the show. Places, everyone. Giddy, Megan took her seat. Raj made his last adjustments to camera, computer, and wig, then came over and dropped into his overstuffed chair. Megan looked up to see the three of them on the monitor. They were well-framed. It would have been nice to have an operator tonight, but these last-minute programs never allowed for frills, apart from whatever Raj would add in the editor after the basic show was shot. Hello, Raj said, primly folding his hands in his lap, addressing the camera. And welcome once again to the Raj house. I'm Raj, and this is my inseparable co-host, Miss Megan, and we would like to welcome a very special guest, direct from civilian rehabilitation. Please extend a hearty howdy-do to our very own Sleepy Joe. Um, Miss Megan, is that your cell phone? Megan heard the muted chirping coming from out beyond the lights. She jumped out of her seat and grabbed her purse where she'd set it on a bleacher. Still within the camera's eye, Raj continued with his duties. I can't imagine who would be calling Miss Megan at this critical juncture, but let's listen in, shall we? Miss Megan, be sure to speak up so we can all enjoy your conversation. Megan waved him to silence. Hello? A grim voice squawked at her. 
Megan, where the hell are you? I tried reception and the conference room phone. Oh, Mr. Mr. Zillikin. Uh, we had to go downstairs for some folders. She turned and faced Raj and made desperate, eye-bulging, throat-cutting, fish-out-of-water gestures at him. Raj went white. Whiter. Where are you? I'm at home, but I'm headed back to the office. I just realized I left a whole load of horse shit on my desk that I need to get ready for tomorrow. I want you to get it organized for me before I get there. Make a copy of everything. Are you taking this down? Just a sec. I need to get a pen. Zillikin started unreeling instructions she could barely pretend to follow. Raj was moaning. Oh, God. Oh, God. Give me, give me an hour and I'll have everything ready, she promised. Make sure Raj helps you. I'll get there as soon as I can. Okay. See you. She stuffed the phone in her purse. We have to get back now. Get ready. I'm calling a cab. Raj hurried about, shutting off lights and powering down the computer. Megan waited on hold at the cab dispatch number and finally got a human on the other end. We can have someone to you in 45 minutes, she heard. 45? But we were just dropped off here 10 minutes ago. Can't we get the same guy back? Raj was already pushing the vet out the door. We'll flag someone down, he called. Hurry, Megan. Yeah, hurry, she said, stuffing the phone back into her purse. As if you need to tell me that. Outside, Raj was rushing over the sidewalk like a kid racing a shopping cart down the aisle of a grocery store. Wait up! He idled unhappily until she caught up. Where are you going? she asked. She had thought the main street was dark. Raj pointed down an even darker one. There's a busy street about three blocks from here. Plenty of traffic. We'll have to cut through here to save time. I'm not going in there. You want to lose your job? And he started off without waiting any longer. She caught her breath and plunged after him. I shouldn't be afraid, she told herself. There's no one here. Who would haunt such a derelict district? Bums? You'd have to wait forever for a handout. Even muggers would find victims hard to come by. Halfway down the block, she slammed into Raj, knocking his scintillant wig right off his head into the dark. He had come to a hard stop. Just ahead, as she strained her eyes trying to penetrate the gloom, she saw a few... shapes. Seated and waiting. Something about them was familiar. Seated figures, men in the dark. They were sitting very still. Then they started to rise. The chairs. She knew those chairs. Omnichairs. She couldn't tell who was making the sound that came next. It seemed to be coming from the figures in front of them and from the old vet at the same time. It was a low, horrible growl that slowly grew louder and more shrill. Help! Raj screamed. Help us, somebody! They'd been ambushed. There would be no rescue. The whining, wailing sound suddenly exploded as Megan and Raj both screamed. The old vet, at that instant, burst out of his omni-chair. He was a blur in the shadows but a blur of motion. The snarling was his. The others converged on him, drawn together into a solid clot of darkness. Megan's stomach turned at the sounds of rending, the muffled shrieks and animal noises. Raj, come on! She grabbed him by the hand, already running, past the commotion, down the dark street, toward the promise of traffic noises somewhere ahead. Seconds later, as they reached the first functional streetlight, Raj actually passed her. He was still pushing the chair. Get in, he said. No way. Megan, it'll look weird if I'm pushing an empty chair. People will remember. We need to get back without without drawing attention. Forget about the cab. What's happening back there, Raj? I don't know and I don't want to know. Now get in the chair. He didn't slow down for her. She had to drop into the seat while he was running. 
The chair sloshed as she sank into it, but there were hard things in the gelatinous pads, things that shifted as she moved and then reasserted themselves. She didn't want to think about what the chair must do to take care of the old vet, day in, day out. They turned a corner and she saw a steady stream of cars a block ahead. Barrage didn't go that way. He kept on the parallel street, which was darker and depopulated, and would eventually get them back to the offices of Zillican Sharpenright. Megan closed her eyes, trying to decide if there was anything else she ought to be doing to save her own neck. But her thoughts were scattered all over. Those omni-chairs back in the alley. More old soldiers? Sleepers? Did they wait there, drowsing in the cold and dark like dormant ticks waiting for blood warmth to draw nearer? Something groped her from beneath. Jesus, she cried. Stop moving. He pushed down on her shoulder as tubes pressed up between her legs like intelligent, insistent catheters trying to find their way in. No, it's this chair. It's doing something to me. Megan, sit still. God damn it, no. She gave up trying to fight off the chair's advances and jumped out completely. Raj came to a stop. What? he said. You sit in it. Let me push. Sigh. Don't complain when you're the one with sore feet. Raj dropped into the chair. His eyes widened. Then he shrieked and leapt back to his feet. You see, I'd rather have sore feet than... Never mind, I'll push. He took the chair handles again and didn't say another word about anyone writing. They ran through the night toward the office towers. Megan tried not to think about the fact that Mr. Zilligan was bent on the same destination. After a while, she realized that Raj was muttering something under his breath. What's that? He... he saved me, Megan. He gave his life for me. He doesn't even know you exist, Raj. Yes, he does. He knows me. He... he wouldn't have done that otherwise. Sacrificed himself like that. He just snapped because he's programmed for it. It was something he knew. You heard the cabbie. He was all wound up. It was more than that, Megan. He did it for me. Maybe for us. I'm sure of it. Sleepy Joe cares for us. You're slowing down, she said. As they approached the building, reality snapped into sharper focus, and she began to worry about their immediate situation. On the outside chance they might beat Zillican to the office... They had to get their story straight. We, we have the chair, Raj said. We'll just put it back by the elevators and say, say, we were working away. We, Megan finished. We went downstairs. That's what I told him. We went downstairs for some exhibit folders and when we came up, he was gone. That's good. That's fine. Exhibit folders. And we didn't call because, well, we freaked. We've been looking for him. Freaked. That's good. We can definitely pull that off. They rushed through the deserted street-level plaza beneath the building, boarded the elevator, and tried to catch their breath as the car rose 40 floors. Megan's ears popped repeatedly. Ding! The doors opened. She had to prepare herself to find Mr. Zillican waiting for them with a look of certain doom on his battleship gray face, but he wasn't there, and for a moment she felt herself overcome by relief. The conference room was empty, the tables still piled with their unfinished tasks. Then relief was replaced by shock. There was someone in the waiting room, seated on the couch. The old soldier had beat them to the office. He'd come home by some shorter route and resumed his sentry post at the elevator bank. He sat there with the same sleepy-lidded face he always wore, eyes like raisins, face a lump of dough, just as before. Except, now he was naked.
A few tatters of his old clothes clung to his collarbone, fastened around his throat by the one remaining button. His pale, mole-ridden body was covered with colorless hair, streaked with grimy welts, blood smears, and dark scabs. A huge gash ran like a gaping skull suture across his shaved scalp. Worst of all, his arms were glistening red all the way up past the elbows and a butcher shop reek rose from the gore-clotted sofa cushion. Oh my god, Raj said quietly. I... I don't believe it. We're saved. He pushed the omni-chair forward and Megan, still speechless, joined him at the couch. Raj started to pull the vet up from the cushions. Give me a hand, let's get him back in his chair. Are you crazy? We have to get him cleaned up and dressed. Where the hell are we going to find clothes for him? And look at these cushions. What are we going to do about... Ding. We are so dead, Megan whispered. That was the only sound for a moment. She turned around slowly. Mr. Zillikin stood there with his briefcase dangling. It slid to the floor after a moment, but the lawyer didn't move. His finger remained crooked on nothing. His eyes went to the conference room table, taking in pile upon pile of unfinished work. Then they fixed on the old soldier. Ignoring the blood, ignoring the scarred, naked frame, he seized upon the most outrageous detail, the rubber pig snout still clinging to the dreamy face. It must have been the simplest part of the scene to comprehend. Zillikin crossed the lobby in three strides and snatched the snout from the sentry's cheeks. The band snapped with a twang. The lawyer spun toward Raj, waving the snout in his face. You! he screamed. How dare you abuse my property! He's not property, Raj said quietly. Shut up! You'll be lucky if I don't kill you! Please don't say that, Megan said. Do you hear me, Roger? But Roger didn't answer. He couldn't. Behind Zillikin, the old vet was rising, straightening from the couch, shuffling forward slowly with a look of devotion in his warming eyes. When he spoke, his voice was creaky with disuse, like an ancient engine turning over, shedding flakes of rust. Don't worry, kids, he fondly croaked. Let me take care of this. And that was our story. We've had a few different takes on Escape Pod on the idea that war dehumanizes us, that humans become reduced to weapons or machines or, in this case, sort of a specialized mine. It's not that anyone here is more of a peacenik than the average civilian. It just seems to be a natural fit for science fiction. Our world is moving more and more toward the integration of people and technology, and military applications are one of the areas where that's being driven hard and fast. Exaggerating some of the possibilities for effect can make for an unsettling story, sure. But fiction isn't always supposed to be comfortable and make us feel good about ourselves. I was going to extend that thought into something about how we treat individual soldiers and veterans, but, you know, I don't really have anything to say on that subject that isn't obvious and cliché. The most relevant point I have is a quote I already used in a recent episode. Randy Weatherwax, saying evil begins with treating people as things. That's applicable all over any military conflict. 
We can forget that our enemies are all people. We can forget that our own troops are all people. When we forget that, when we abstract it all to principles and mottos, we make really bad decisions. I want to avoid those. Even the mottos I believe in, like support our troops, are an abstraction. I'll say this instead. When you look at someone in uniform, don't just see the uniform. See the person in the uniform. That's harder. Uniforms are meant to make it hard. But it's true respect. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share us all you like, but please don't sell us, change us, or lock us in a chemically induced hibernation. It just makes us twitchy. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you can, consider donating via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our sister podcasts, Pseudopod for Horror, I mentioned that one in the beginning, I hope you are taking notes, and Podcastle for Fantasy at podcastle.org. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from Napoleon Bonaparte, a moderately successful French military man. He said, The first virtue in a soldier is endurance of fatigue. Courage is only the second virtue. We'll see you next week. Until then, the cake is a lie. <laughs>